welcome to episode 88 of the App Advice Weekly Podcast. This is your host, Trevor Sheridan of AppAdvice.com, and joining me as usual is my co-host, Brett Nolan of AppAddict.net. Join us this week as we discuss all of the more in the making of Apple's latest event. How are you doing today, Brett? I'm doing pretty good. It was a, a good event today, so uh, lots of stuff to talk about. There sure is, and it's always fun when we have a special event to go over. It makes for a lively podcast, and Apple really had a fast-moving event that still had packed quite a punch. So essentially, if you're in the market for a new Mac or you're in the market for a new iPad, Apple has you covered with this event. The first announcement was Apple's brand-new MacBook Air. Essentially, they brought the Retina display finally to the MacBook Air. You know, it seemed like we hadn't heard from the MacBook Air for a couple years. Some even speculated they were going to get rid of the line entirely in favor of just the plain MacBook, but... The Air gets new life, again, the Retina display, plus they updated the processor, the internals. They bring that MacBook Pro third-generation butterfly keyboard. They expand the trackpad. There's the same all-day battery life. And then in all of this, they've reduced the device size so it takes up 17% less volume and it's 10% thinner. And it's essentially because instead of the big gray bezel of the previous generation MacBook Air. It's now a smaller black bezel, so it blends in better with the screen, with their Mojave desktop operating system, and with their other MacBook lines. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not in the uh, market for a new Mac at the time, at this time, but yeah, it looked like they pretty much hit every single thing people were wanting this thing to be. It seemed to hit every single bullet point updating everything that they've kind of taken their time like you said on this but now it seems they finally come out swinging with this brand new macbook air that updates every single aspect of this device yeah speaking of the other features i didn't even cover there's now touch id in the upper right corner of that new keyboard and then the device itself is actually a quarter of a pound lighter. So instead of the 2.96 pounds, it's now 2.75 pounds. And then Apple is just focusing on the 13.3 inch. They got rid of the 11.6 inch of the previous MacBook Air. And so you have one essential model. And then you can update it with different processor boosts or storage sizes. But the base configuration is the 8th generation Intel dual-core i5 chip with 8 gigs of RAM and 128 gigs of storage. And that's going to start at 1199 with orders beginning today, right now as we speak, and shipments beginning on November 7th. And now on the it has those two uh, Thunderbolt 3 ports on one side. On the other side, is that a headphone jack? I believe it is. It look, they didn't mention it. But I think on the other side, there's just the solitary headphone jack. Yeah. But I can't really tell. They seem to only focus on the left side ports anyway. They, they right. rarely showed yeah. the right side. Yeah, and I, so when it kept on spinning on screen, I tried to look, I tried to look, and then finally when they had the, the official images up, it looks clear as day like it's a headphone jack. There's no little symbol next to it that makes you know it's a headphone jack. But... Uh, that's what it appears. So it kept its headphone jack. Meanwhile, everything else is always losing it. Right. And yeah, it looks like that's all that's on the right-hand side is the headphone jack. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but I guess with those two Thunderbolt 3, I mean, obviously it means you're going to be in, in dongle world all over again if you have things that uh, you want to hook up that aren't, that aren't uh, or more than two things at least. You'll need some sort of way to expand that out, but at least you have uh, two ports, unlike that original MacBook 13-inch that came out that only had the single one, and, and immediately people were complaining because you couldn't charge and do other things without getting some sort of dongle. At least this gives you two. Yeah, and, you know, that's pretty much the MacBook Air. We're going to also go over kind of our opinions overall once we get through it, but this is more kind of the news portion of the program, so strap in for specs and all kinds <laughs> of fun stuff like that. So after the MacBook Air, Apple also gave attention to a long dormant Mac in the Mac Mini. And now essentially, it's more of a powerful device. So it's not going to replace the Mac Pro, or probably not even an iMac, but it's its own kind of now product that really is a compelling choice simply because if you want a Mac without a built-in display but you don't want to drop 4,000 that's essentially what the Mac mini is for and so they updated all the internals as you would expect there's a 3.6 gigahertz quad core i3 processor as the baseline and then you can upgrade that to six cores you have eight gigs of RAM as the baseline you can upgrade that to 64 gigs and then you have 128 storage that you can upgrade to 2 terabytes. So there's a bunch of options. And then there's a bunch of ports. It has Ethernet, HMI, HDMI, Thunderbolt 3, two USB-As, and an audio jack. Plus there's a new thermal system to help cool the device. And all of this starts at $799 for that baseline. Again, 8 gigs of RAM, the quad-core i3 processor, and 128 gigabytes of storage. Same avail availability, order today shipping November 7th and really if you want a Mac where you bring your own display keyboard and mouse Mac mini really packs a punch for 799 yeah yeah that was an impressive looking box uh, it also had another option you could do is instead of the the regular Ethernet on there you could get uh, I believe 10 gig Ethernet port on there instead was one of the options and then uh, you had those four th USB-C ports on there, which really allowed you a lot of stuff right out of the box. He said there were a lot of ports on there, and then they flipped it around, and it was impressive the number of built-in ports, especially when you're used to seeing all of these MacBooks that they're, they're removing ports. This had everything. You can even run up to two 4K displays right out of the box on the thing, uh, and it looks basically like a bigger uh, Apple TV. Like, the form factor is just this small little box that is unassuming, but it, like you said, it really looks like it packs a punch in there. Yep. And so that's the Mac Mini, and then we turned our attention to the iPad, and all the rumors that we've heard about the iPad really came true, but to see it actually unveiled is quite a different story. And essentially... Apple's maintained the footprint of the 10.5-inch iPad Pro, but now they've put an 11-inch screen in that same size because it's that whole edge-to-edge -edge display, and they built it on the iPhone XR technology where it's still an LCD, it's not an OLED, but they've been able to round the corners and use every pixel possible on the screen with that similar kind of tech. And then they're also keeping the 12.9-inch device around, and then instead of keeping the form factor, they've now shrunk the entire device. So you have that 12.9-inch screen, but...
but it's pretty much like you're holding all screen. And Apple even made a comparison that it's now about the size of an 8.5 by 11 sheet of paper, but it's all an iPad. And so that's definitely a big deal of making edge-to-edge screen. And in doing so, that means they remove the home button, touch ID, and in its place is face ID. And then there's the greater emphasis on different gestures and all that good stuff. But then on the edge of the device, not only is it thinner by one millimeter, but it's also this new straight edge style instead of the rounded edge. It's reminiscent of the iPhone 4 or 5. So it's really just like this slate that you're holding in your hand that's a more majority of screen. And then on the inside, it's the A12X Bionic chip, which includes an 8-core CPU plus a 7-core GPU. And then a big kind of story that I guess it was rumored, but to have Apple actually do is that they replaced the Lightning port with a USB-C port. And so now, among other things, you can hook up an external monitor from your iPad. You can connect a DSLR camera or similar peripherals, or you can even charge your iPhone right from your iPad. So that's definitely a big deal. Right, yeah. Them switching from their proprietary Lightning to a actual standard is kind of fascinating that they finally went ahead and did this but i guess <clears throat> if you want to call it a uh, a computer replacement then really they got to go with that i mean i it has that whole really like you said the iphone 4 or 5 industrial kind of really sl- uh, strict lines on it that really see that metal and then uh, it's also, as far as the, the Face ID camera, it also apparently works when you rotate the device, so you don't have to worry about holding it in portrait or landscape mode. It is going to always recognize, depend, no matter how you, you face this thing. And they're going into the, all the graphics on this and uh, how powerful it is, and the single-core performance was up by 35%. They said the, the graphics performance is like an Xbox One S graphics performance, but without having to plug it in. And also, as far as like that side, it's uh, there's another element to it, which we'll get uh, to once we talk about the second-gen pencil, but it, it can also charge uh, uh, the pencil as well, just from the side of the device, which is pretty impressive as far as this thing now can be almost like a, a battery that you can bring with you to charge all your various devices because of that magnetic charging as well as that USB, uh, uh, USB-C port that's on there. Uh, so it's, they, they really, it is everything that we thought it was going to be. I am kind of impressed that they almost had to do the, the iPhone event beforehand to really kind of get people to buy into this 10R kind of display change. And then to bring that over, that's how they were able to to have this edge-to-edge screen and still have it not be overly insanely priced. We'll get to the pricing. But uh, it's impressive that they were able to take that but still offer more than the 720p resolution like we saw with the 10R. This thing has a much higher resolution, and I'm curious to see it in person to see how that visual display compares to the current uh, pros that are that are available, the 10.5-inch and my existing 9.7-inch. I'd be curious to see how those displays look, and then also how they look against the, the phones that, that don't use that liquid retina display. Yeah, that's definitely, this is the kind of device you definitely want to go hands-on with, see it in a store if you can, just because 
Apple, this is the biggest redesign to the iPad they've done. You know, they like to claim that every year, but from just kind of <laughs> an outward perspective, they redesigned pretty much every part of the iPad, and it looks gorgeous from just the comparison shot of showing that 10.5-inch iPad Pro and then the new 11-inch where all that wasted extra white space is now screen. And then on the 12.9-inch, it's now a device that's 25% smaller in terms of volume. So it's a big, huge change just outwardly. And then, like we talked about, internally, it's super powerful. They're talking about Xbox One S graphics performance on your portable little iPad. And then they added two new accessories. So essentially, they updated their existing accessories. We have Apple Pencil Generation 2, and it's now thinner profile. It magnetically attaches to the top or essentially the side of the iPad, depending on how you're holding it. And then it also wirelessly charges from that magnetic attachment. And then there's the ability to double tap on the top of the pencil, and that automatically switches kind of the drawing mode. They have it defaulted in the Stock Notes app to go from your drawing utility to the eraser. And then third-party developers can choose whatever they want for that option. And then the keyboard has a new orientation to sit. It's essentially the same typing keyboard, but now there's a second orientation to hold it. And then there's going to be one specifically designed for the 11-inch iPad and one specifically designed for the 12.9-inch iPad. And the accessories really kind of fit into that idea that iPad can be a super creative device with the pencil or a super productive device with the keyboard. But again, these are additional purchases. It's not coming you know, with the iPad as it stands. Like when you buy a MacBook, guess what? It comes with a keyboard. It's not like I have to go out <laughs> and buy a keyboard. So it, it's interesting because it all comes down to the stock configuration. The 11-inch iPad Pro starts at $799 for a 64-gigabyte model. And if you were looking up existing prices, you know that that price was reserved for the 12.9-inch. So Apple's now been able to bring their bottom tier up to their top tier pricing and now that allows them to bump up the top tier pricing so that 12.9 inch starts at 999 dollars so if you want that 13 inch ipad you're dropping a grant a grand and that's with 64 gigabytes of storage because you also have options to upgrade to 256 gigabytes 512 gigabytes or a whopping one terabyte though that one terabyte sticker shock is probably the most extreme of the entire day. And again, <laughs> this is the same avail availability. You can start ordering today, shipping on November 7th. And then there's also going to be LTE models, $130 or $150 increase across the board. And the existing 10.5-inch iPad Pro is sticking around at 649 Yeah, and so just one more thing about the, the whole performance of this device is they one of the demos they had was for Photoshop. And if you've ever used Photoshop on a PC or a, a Mac, they had a file that had, I would say, like 120-something layers, I think they said, or maybe even more than that. And this thing, seamlessly, they were flying through the layers and moving through the layers, which I've used not even that many layers on a, on a Mac and a PC, and my thing is bogged down. So it, that was actually, uh, did a nice job of showing off how powerful this new device is granted we don't know how that performs on like a, a existing model if it if it 
does just as well, but uh, just to show you like how good this thing is with uh, caching of information and making sure that it's going to run smoothly, that was actually, I would say, one of their better demos that they've done in the past, uh, just to actually show it off. Uh, and then they did show off some games. Again, I, you don't know performance-wise how that really shows it, but uh, to have like this now larger price range to start everything off at 64 that 120 something layer file was three gigs alone for photoshop to start at 64 is seems really low for the amount of content they're going to be putting on these devices but again we knew this thing was going to be expensive and it's uh it's it's delivering on the expensiveness yeah you said overly insanely priced so now we're to more kind of, so that's kind of the news. And now this is more of our thoughts on the entire thing. And since we're on the iPad, we'll start with the iPad. And I don't think it's overly insanely priced, but it's definitely insanely priced. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, that I guess is what Apple's doing with every single one of their models is that they're bumping up the price no matter what it is. It's like, okay, now we can make this more expensive. The phone, we now got it up to 1000 The iPad, we've got it up to 1000 The MacBook Pro, we got up to 1800 They're just going across the line and amping up the price on everything. And I agree that this is a big, huge change for the iPad, but in terms of functionality, I didn't see anything because there's no new software or anything. It's still... You can make the most powerful iPad on Earth that, you know, rivals the Mac Pro in terms of computing power, but... There's not really that much out there to run. You can go with the Photoshop example, but it still seemed not perfectly catered to touch, especially because she was using the pencil the entire time. And again, that's an additional accessory. So again, this is the baseline, what you can do. It costs $800 for the 11-inch iPad Pro. And then the new Apple Pencil costs $130. So now we're already up to $930. Then if you want the keyboard, that's $180. So now we're already over a thousand. We're almost to eleven hundred dollars, and that's just the baseline. If you start at the thousand dollar iPad, we're talking a thousand just to get in the door for the thirteen inch, and then you again add that same additional cost. You know, you're already adding three hundred and ten dollars if you want both accessories. Actually, well, on actually the, the keyboard is two hundred bucks. Yeah, the twelve point nine inch. You, you yeah. have that big uh, boost of twenty dollars because you need a different keyboard. So now you're up to $330. <laughs> so that's $1330. And if you go back to the start of the show, the MacBook Air costs $1199. So you can get a MacBook Air for $1200 and you can get a 13-inch iPad. So they both have 13-inch screens with a keyboard plus the pencil and now you're at 1330. You even take out the pencil and they're both $1200. So if you get a keyboard plus your big 13-inch iPad or you get a 13-inch MacBook Air with a keyboard, they're the same price. I mean, and that MacBook Air has twice as much storage. Yeah, 128. And what do you think you're going to be able to do more with? Especially because, again, the iPad's still doing the same stuff. It looks absolutely beautiful. It looks like it's going to be amazing to hold it in your hand to watch movies and play games with just like no bezel at all. Especially if you had that big floating 13-inch screen. Essentially, you get the MacBook Air and you rip off the keyboard. That's really cool. But in terms of iOS, I don't know if you're ever going to have $1,200 worth of pro-level work usage or any kind of usage. It's great entertainment product, but I don't know if a $1,200 entertainment product is 
on many people's wish list for the holiday season. Right. Yeah, I, I, the, this is probably cost prohibitive for me to be upgrading at this point, especially when I looked up my 9.7-inch iPad Pro, which is a few years old now. Its trade-in value is about $185. To then spend, drop basically another $1,000 to get the, I would get the 12.9 inch, especially where it's just about the size of a sheet of paper. I mean, that's easy to hold. The whole reason I didn't go with the larger iPad the last time was because it was just kind of big and bulky. And to have something that's that small, that pretty much is the size of a sheet of paper, that's easy to hold in your hands. And so, I mean, that was just another one of these that really makes me want to pick this up, but I just can't justify spending that much money on something that I'll pretty much be using for web surfing, reading emails, and maybe some FaceTime, messaging, and then playing games. And I, I bought a $500 console for playing games. I'm not going to spend $1,200 on this mobile device to play games on that. It's just, I don't know, It this whole rise in costs is just really... I, it's gonna eventually come back to bite Apple. I think they're 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 making money on this stuff, but people are gonna be holding on to these devices longer and longer if they're spending this much money on them. To to have the to to they can't be upgrading every year. They they're gonna end up kind of pricing themselves out of getting people to have those. Uh, need to upgrade year after year, especially on like something like the iPad, where it's not like you have these deals to pay it in installments and then trade it in. Maybe they're going to start a program for that to try to force people to to upgrade every year. Maybe they're going to take them back and then you'll be able to pay uh, kind of like monthly installments instead. But it's just a lot of money, especially when you have now this MacBook Air that can do what a real computer can do. I mean, it's a computer. It actually does everything a computer can do for less money than this same sized iPad. And you're never going to be able to sell me on the fact that this iPad is a computer replacement. Granted, there are apps that are going to work very well on it if they're designed specifically for this, but to have it be a come uh, a be all be everything computer replacement, it's never going to be that. And and fortunately, Apple seems to be pricing it like it's like a computer, but it's you can't do that. Like eventually, something's going to break, and people are just not going to be buying these in in the amounts that they need them to be buying them. If I'm dropping a thousand dollars on a device, that thing better last at least five years. And if that puts me out five years, that's five years I'm not buying a new iPad. And so, you know, I think of an iPad's $500, like Apple's never going to go back to that. But when they originally started, it was $500. And that's more reasonable for kind of a two to three year upgrade cycle. But once you get to a thousand, it's like a five to seven year upgrade cycle, especially with the way they're talking about the power of this iPad. I know computing is always going to advance every year. But iOS apps aren't like Mac apps. They're not upgrading at the same rate. They're not as powerful. So really, are you going to see that performance boost? And now that it's screen pretty much is the whole thing, we're hurtling to the point where you have this interactive piece of glass. And <laughs> that might be the next time to upgrade because honestly, you know, Apple started the iPad portion of the program with 
a statement that was just asinine. I don't even care. Yeah, I know what you're going to say. <laughs> yeah. So, I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> Tim Cook and then the other person who came up called an iPad a magical piece of glass that transforms instantly into anything you want it to be. Seriously? Is it a food replicator? Is it a holodeck? <laughs> is it a transporter? Is it anything from Star Trek? If it's not, like, is it really, it runs iPhone apps on a big stage. It gives you more kind of canvases to check your email. Even this brand new Photoshop app, I don't know if it's doing anything I could possibly imagine. And then that also kind of ties into their game demo. So they showed off NBA 2K and they tell me right before they show that, that this has the graphics performance of an Xbox One S. But then they're showing me NBA 2K Mobile. Yes, the player designs are more advanced. The audience, you can see the individual people, but the gameplay itself, the actual game, is the watered-down mobile version. It's not the Xbox One version available on the iPad with touch controls. If you're going to tell me that the iPad's capable of a literally the current console generation, then show me the current console generation game. Like, I understand from 2K's perspective, they can't release a $60 game within the App Store, but from Apple's perspective, it's a tough sell to tell me it's a console competitor when console games truly aren't there. Because when you see how raggedy and archaic the movements are of the players and the actual game flow, if you played NBA 2K19 on an Xbox One S, that game, that mobile version, looks like it's at least a decade ago. It's not even in the ballpark in terms of gameplay, regardless of how the graphics look. And so that's, again, a tough sell because this thing costs 1200 bucks or 1000 bucks, whatever combination you want to come up with. And you can buy an Xbox One S and just play your games. You can get a Nintendo Switch and take it with you, and you're still playing the full console version. So you have iPad can do a little bit of gaming, but it doesn't do full gaming. It can do a little bit of typing, but it can't do full di- typing. It c- can do a little bit of drawing, but you still not have that super precision because the Apple Pencil didn't improve any precision points or anything. The main complaints of the Apple Pencil weren't that it doesn't magnetically attach to my iPad. So they're all like the iPad, it dabbles in all these different little areas, but it doesn't perfect any of them. It's like a jack of all trades, a master of none. And I think it needs to be a master of something if it's going to be a grant. Right, right. And and the, the, you notice how they've kind of like just walked away from their whole rhetoric where first they, they tried to sell the iPad as a computer replacement. First they said it would never be, that wasn't what it was designed for. Then they went and tried to say that it was. And then they kind of have just kind of walked away from that and now not using that branding. They started off the whole iPad Pro segment by saying that they sold more iPads last year than notebooks from all major notebook manufacturers combined, which is kind of a bogus statement because the iPads they're talking about are not these $1,000 Pro iPads. They're talking about the one that they released last year that was like $329, the one that was a bargain price that a lot of people probably picked up because it was cheap. Not a lot of people are clamoring to go out and drop $1,000 on an iPad or even $800 on an iPad. They're not the ones buying these in droves. They're buying that cheap intro level one to give to kids or to have like an extra uh, web surfing device or watching movies device in the house. This is not, they're not using this as a notebook. They're not using this for 
computing. They're using it for media consumption and game consumption. It's not it's not it's like comparing apples and oranges. It's not <laughs> actually comparing the like devices together. What they should have said was this is how many notebooks were sold and this is how many iPad, I mean, uh, MacBooks were sold. Like, that's a better comparison on MacBook Airs if they wanted to have, like, the, the less powerful MacBook to compare those two together. But to compare those, it just makes no sense. And this is what Apple seems to be doing in a lot of these events is kind of, like, just spinning words and trying to play to their to their people that are just uber fans that will let anything go and not really dig into what they're saying but then it, it will eventually all come down to the actual consumers if they're willing, if they buy the hype and they're willing to spend that money. And I think it's just, while this looks like a gorgeous, gorgeous iPad, I don't think it's going to sell like crazy because people just dropped $1,000 on these phones or $800 on these phones. They're not going to go out and now spend another grand two grand seventeen forty nine on on a on a new ipad the, the i bet the Ma, uh, the macbook air sells leaps and bounds above this ipad pro uh and i i mean to me i'm waiting for sales i'm waiting for price drops i'll wait years for like maybe i'll buy this model next year when it becomes cheaper or maybe they'll have a 12.9 inch one that's less expensive uh down the road I don't know, but to me, I think this they really should have come out with a better pricing for this. But the problem is now they have so many different models because they kept around the 9.7 inch, they which is that 329 one. They kept around the 10.5 inch iPad Pro from last year, which they have priced at 649 starting price for that. Actually, yeah, that still comes in three different sizes. Then now they have this 799. So they're just trying to like build up these different tiers, but really they need to do a price drop on that 10.5 to bring it down and then have all these be maybe hundred $150 less to try to get people in the door, especially if you're starting it at 64 gig. They really need to be priced less if they're going to sell the way that Apple needs them to sell for this iPad to be successful. They Their iPad sales have always been down. They've been kind of lowering year over year. And this is not the answer for them to sell more iPads that have this super deluxe expensive iPad. They really need to, like they had with that 329, offer something at a budget-friendly price or maybe slightly elevated because of the contents that are in this device. And then you're going to sell a lot of these devices. You're going to have people hooked into the into the infrastructure. You're going to have them uh, buying in. And maybe if you had it priced at a lower price, they would be upgrading more often than they will be at this price. It's a, it's what I said at the outset. Just that the previous 12.9 inch was 7.99, and now Apple's moved the 11 inch to 7.99, so they can put the 12.9 inch up to 9.99. They did the same exact thing with the iPhone 10. You know, last year the phone was like seven or two years ago it was 750. Now it's 999 at the starting level. The MacBooks they used to be 1299. Now they moved it to 1799 so that the Air can be 1199. It's this whole pushing the goalpost further away so they can have a bigger markup and that helps their stock and all their money making. That you know it just increases the profit margin because there's no way that this new iPad costs that much more to make 
especially when you're starting at 64 gigs, and then you exponentially increase the price. Just to put how much you can increase that price in perspective, there, Apple sell an iPad for $2,230 if you get the one terabyte <laughs> model, the Wi-Fi and cellular, plus the keyboard and the pencil. You can spend $2,200 on an iPad. That's insane. I mean, you get the 15-inch MacBook Pro for that kind of price with, like, the upgraded processor. Yeah, yeah, I mean, even the pricing between the storage tiers is absolutely ridiculous at this day and age. Like, it does not cost them that much money to be upgrading the storage. So just on, like, say, the 10.5-inch iPad Pro, just because that's what I have up right now, it's 649 then you go up to 256 because they don't have 128 and that goes up by $150. And then you have another $200 between the 256 and the 512 There's no way it costs them anywhere near that amount of money to be going between those different storage tiers. Like, they are making a ton of money by people jumping between storage tiers just beyond the price of the devices themselves. And to me, like, offer less storage options and then have it more reasonably priced. Like, don't be kind of just sticking it to your customers who don't want that minimal 64 and really offer them a usable size from the start at that lowest price tier. It should start at 128. If you're starting your MacBook Air and the Mac Mini at 128, why doesn't the iPad start at 128? And they don't even offer a 128 and the iPad just so they can go from the 64 gigabyte and then they go 150 up to 256 and then they go 200 up to 512 and then they go 400 up to get to one terabyte on either the 12.9 or the 11 inch. It's insane what they did in terms of iPad pricing. Because I was on the fence. I heard about you know, we talked about this new all-screen design with this better slick edge design, and then you have the, of course, Face ID and all these kinds of improvements. You're excited for that, and you see that the current prices, it's like $699 and $799. You're like, I might be able to do $800 for that 13-inch iPad, get you know, a real solid upgrade. Instead, it's a grant. And then you're like, oh, well, maybe I don't want to do that. And, you know, I, I kind of want to start 256. Now it's 1150. I'm not, you know, <laughs> now I should just get a MacBook Air for 1150. It, it, it's just right. Yeah. You, you know, you think about it around 800. And now to really get an actual device, you're up to 1150. It, it's crazy how quick it goes up. Right, right. You might be thinking about it 800 especially if you have another device to sell off and trade in. Maybe you can knock another 200 bucks off that price. So now you're talking about $600. you are thinking, this thing will last me a good number of years. But it's not, because you can't get that 64 Not nowadays. Like, it should have been 120 Like, if that was 128 at that lowest tier, if I could get a decent trade-in value, then I would consider it. But the fact that you really have to jump to that second level of pricing, that 1149 for the 12.9-inch, it's just absolutely ridiculous. It's like a slap in the face because they know, like, that 64 is not going to be enough. You know that over the lifetime that you're hoping to hold on to this device, there's no way that's going to be enough storage on there. Unless you're someone who's constantly deleting apps on or not maybe storing a lot of stuff in iCloud. I don't know. But it, it, you still wouldn't be able to leave the apps installed. You'd have to uninstall them and reinstall them. 
and it's kind of a pain. So I don't even know why they stuck it around. I think it's basically to try to force people to get to spend another $150 knowing that, that they can put it as starts at with that lower price, but knowing that a large percentage of people that are purchasing these devices are probably going to have to jump to that second tier. Yep. And again, it comes down to the iPad is priced like a computer, but it's not capable of a computer. And that's the crux of the problem. The iPad should kind of be in between, you know, or lower tier, like an alternative to a computer at a lesser amount. Something you get for your kids or your parents or someone who's not computer savvy or even just an alternate, like I'll use my Mac for heavy workload stuff and then I'll go and use my iPad to just kind of relax. And now they've tried to put the iPad, they put that pro moniker, but they didn't give us any pro software to go with it. They didn't give us any pro operating system features. There's no like special finder system for the iPad only that's not capable on the phone. They just haven't reached that point. But for some reason, they convinced themselves and they're trying to convince us that the pricing has reached that point. The capabilities haven't, but the pricing has. And for me, that's a pass. And that kind of takes me to the MacBook Air. That was the one that I was kind of most blown away with by the event because I've we talked about it a couple weeks ago. I just got the new battery for my 2011 MacBook Air. I've got good use out of it. 2011 is 2018. That's seven years. Coming on eight years, eight full years of computer usage. That new iPad, there's no way it's going to still be good in eight years. And so MacBook Air is definitely an intriguing option just because they made so much of the area screen by reducing the size of the device. It's lighter, and then I don't have to pay that big, huge premium to get the touch bar. So I'm trying to compare the 1799 MacBook Pro with the 1199 MacBook Air. And the processor is a big boost for the MacBook Pro, but it's not like the processor isn't going to be capable on the MacBook Air, especially compared to my 2011 model. And then they also have a storage increase. So it goes from 1200 to 1800 That's $600. And we know Apple has a premium for storage. So say you even want to give $200 for that. And then say the processor boost, that's like another 200 That means the touch bar costs 200 even with exaggerated premiums on the storage and the processor. So really that MacBook Air is probably the best price value they're currently offering across any of their lines, honestly. Right, yeah, you, like the MacBook Air, if you're someone who's looking for a MacBook and doesn't need the pro level of uh, the processor and all of that, that is a good price for what you're getting for that computer. Uh, as far as it, like if you want like a desktop that does uh, quite a bit of stuff, that Mac Mini was also, to me, impressive. If you're someone who just wants, you say you want to just use, like I use uh, my MacBook Air, uh, my, my MacBook Pro, and then I use HDMI to connect it to like a 43-inch TV for my monitor. So I have an external keyboard. If I wanted a standalone Mac, to me that Mac Mini is a was an impressive offering as far as just like the size was tiny, the amount of power and storage that you got for just 800 bucks was really impressive, especially if you, someone who already has like a monitor and a keyboard and mouse, you're just kind of swapping things out and upgrading. And 
to for that for only eight hundred dollars, or then if you want more storage to go up to and a and a decent processor boost, uh, because you went from quad core to six core for like another three hundred dollars or so, then that seemed like a really good bargain too. These seem like the the much better offerings than that iPad Pro were for that same roughly around that same amount of money if you want to actually have something that's going to give you all the computing stuff you need versus something that's kind of the watered down experience. These will be a computer replacement because they're going to replace your existing computer you're going to upgrade. Uh, both of those seem like great options, especially that, the, like you said, the MacBook Air finally has been updated in every possible way, and it looked gorgeous. If I didn't have a MacBook Pro that is still running strong, the only problem I have with mine is sometimes the fan gets a little loud, and, some, and I'm desperately running out of space. I need to delete some things. But otherwise, if... If I were to tell someone who wants to get a uh, a Mac and is getting into Macs and wants a portable uh, device, they don't need a standalone, definitely would recommend that MacBook Air. And then just even the tier increases. Say you don't want the baseline for the Air or the Mini. You're going from $799 up to $1099, and you go from the quad core up to the six core and you double the storage that's like a significant increase even if you go from eight gigabytes all the way up to 32 gigs ram and that's only another 300 bucks on top of that so that's 1399 so it's not like crazy pricing for that mac mini upgrades because you're to have such a leap the same thing with the air you know it starts at 1200 but there's four total tiers. Even the top tier is 1800 and that's going to go from 128 up to 512 and it's going to double the RAM. So it's it's a different kind of comparison. For some reason, you know, the iPad, they're obviously not doubling the RAM ever. They're not quadrupling the RAM and they're not changing the processors no matter what upgrades you pick. But they're priced like it, which is insane, especially because they have that direct comparison of what they're doing on their other lines. The one kind of exception is that top tier Mac mini. It's it's a funny one. So it goes and it uses a different quad core chip or a six core chipset, but then it has 64 gigs of RAM and two terabytes of storage. It's $4,100. So they go Holy from 1800 to 4100 on that final top tier of the Mac mini. I don't know why exactly, but if you want that ultimate tricked out Mac mini, it's the biggest gap across the board. But the other tiers from seven ninety nine to seventeen ninety nine, at least I understand where those are coming from. So yeah, I, I'm wondering how many of those they sell. There's probably like one guy that needs that as an option, so they offer it, but really like how many people are actually buying those that are adding the basically doubling or quadrupling the yeah. price of the device. Like uh, but it, it, like you said, where it's not just a storage boost that you're paying that extra money for. You're actually getting processor boosts. You're getting like noticeable differences for that same sort of level of increased money between these these tiers where it's not like that. It's the same exact device on the iPads when you're going between these things. It's just that storage is all that's changing between them. You're not getting any kind of change in processor or abilities or anything. It's, and it just seems like 
the you get a lot more value for that money when you're doing it on their their computer lines versus the iPad lines. Yep, and then going back to the MacBook Air, it does now come in gold, so it did have the silver and space grade options, but there's also the gold option that is on the iPhone 10s. So that is a choice, though. I don't know if I'd want it on the full scale of the MacBook. Yeah, you can't get the Mac Mini in gold either. Imagine if you had that, like, that gold brick sitting on your desk. Yes. Not that I'm into gold. I don't really <laughs> like the gold. <laughs> but I do want to just give Apple credit for the recycling initiative that the Mac Mini and the Mac Air both use 100% recycled aluminum. They made a big deal about that, and it's really quite an achievement to create sustainability on something that so many people are going to buy they and so many people have existing ones that they would get rid of you know so to really use that recycle program for all this creation is pretty impressive yeah yeah that was impressive and so again all these devices you can order them tonight whenever you listen to this podcast and then they're all going to be available shipping and in store on november 7th and i'm going to go out on a limb and say that that november 7th availability is going to last a while on every single one of these items (laughs) i agree yeah i think so too i think i mean especially this time of year you're getting close to black friday people are going to be waiting you're getting closer to christmas but you're not in that final rush of december where people are are trying to just buy up gifts i think people are going to be kind of watching things looking for sales not that these would go on sale necessarily but i think people are a little more money conscious this time of year just because they're waiting for deals to buy up all of their gifts and then to round out the event apple officially released ios 12.1 so you can update your device Regardless if you buy anything new, it also, that's uh, macOS 10.14.1, also has the same kind of update. Essentially, group FaceTime is now available. You know, it got delayed, but it's available. And then there's also going to be the eSIM support, dual SIM support for select phones, though I know Verizon already is relatively finicky with that. There's 70 new emojis. And then if you have the iPhone 10s or 10s Max, you now have the real-time depth control for portrait mode rather than just editing after the fact. Yeah, and I tried out the uh, the group FaceTime. So I, I loaded on my devices. I contacted both my brothers, and we tried it out, and it worked actually quite well. I was impressed at how how smooth it actually was. And I believe my my older brother was on LTE at the time, and my twin brother was on uh, Wi-Fi, and everything worked seamlessly. Like I, I was able to add them both when I contacted them. We were able to get a I, with a another one of our devices get another person to join in uh and then there was a lot of echoing but it worked and then we had the whole thing where it swaps to show you who the current talking person is their picture becomes bigger and kind of centered on the screen on the ipad if i went out of the facetime app and it was just kind of uh, a picture in a picture just a separate window that was floating there you would see whoever the person that happened to be talking at the time their video uh, segment would kind of pop up and appear in that in that box and so you would you could just do whatever you wanted on your iPad and have the whole conversation and then you would just see whoever was talking at the time so it uh worked quite impressively I, I wasn't uh, granted we only had three of us on the call and it supports I think up to 32 people 
but uh, at least with a, a reasonable, probably a more common number, uh, it definitely was working quite well. That's definitely good to know. And so, if you're keeping score at home, main takeaway, MacBook Air, really good value if you need a new MacBook. Mac Mini, really good value if you have your own display, keyboard, and mouse. iPad Pro, amazing device design, the full screen, the smaller device itself, the edge style, the face ID, the powerfulness, amazing device. Pricing, not so much amazing, and it's a definite (laughs) tough sell at that price. Yes, I agree with everything you just said. And one other thing that came out today was watchOS 5.1 came out, and it had some minor tweaks and updates. But an important thing to know is some early reports are coming out where people are their devices are getting bricked when they update to 5.1. It just gets stuck on that little Apple screen. Mine watch, fortunately, did not do that. So... Uh, just be careful if you do have an Apple Watch and you plan to update to, uh, to watchOS 5.1. Uh, there are some reports of it breaking. You might want to give it a couple days to sort itself out. Yeah. And so, even though there was all that Apple news and Apple fun, there's still some games on the App Store that just keep coming. App Store does not slow down regardless. So, the first one we're going to talk about this week is Euclidean Skies. It's the follow-up to Euclidean Lands, and essentially you get to go aerial with it. But no, it's not really that aerial. Essentially, the original game had these floating 3D shapes, and this game has these floating 3D shapes. So that doesn't change (laughs) too much. But if you've never played the original, the game essentially combines a Rubik's Cube with Monument Valley to create its own kind of 3D puzzle style, where you get to rotate the entire world on its axis so you can rotate every block essentially in the environment 360 degrees and then you can rotate groups of blocks together on their own separate axis and Euclidean Skies essentially helps them fine-tune their creative process design style and then create all new level ideas there's more kind of expansive environments like the original game really focused on that Rubik's Cube. Everything is kind of in cube shape. There's more expansive cubes. But this game is more with that Monument Valley idea where there are levels that really traverse a kind of area. And then there's also going to be new blockades and new enemy styles and just more of the same but kind of more compelling, more thought-provoking. Just really, these puzzles kind of increase the difficulty as well. Yeah, the real big difference between uh, Skies, the new one, and Lance, the original, is that whole shift from everything has to be a cube. So the original one, everything were those cube shapes, and sometimes there were multiple cubes, there were little teleporting things that kind of jumped you between cubes. But in Skies, they've really blown the whole thing wide open. So now you're not going to have, it's not restricted to these cubes. You have kind of odd shapes of blocks and you can rotate blocks like all over the place. There's multiple points of rotation. You can have swing hold 
like rows of blocks around. You can end up like in these really messy situations where blocks are all over each, all over the place. There's sometimes blocks not even connected to other blocks, and now you got to figure out how to rotate them back together. And you can take out the enemies by rotating like a a block into them to kind of knock them out and take them out that way, rather than having to like sneak up on them and kill them. And so it just really creates these much bigger, more ornate uh, level structures. And it's, so it can really ramp up the challenge, especially where you can kind of rotate things in such a mess that you have really no clue other than to just trial and error to get yourself back to the situation where you can make it to the portal. Like maybe you, you took out all the enemies, but now you're almost kind of stranded in this one spot. Now you got to figure out how to undo all that rotation to get a pathway back to that door. And sometimes solving the puzzle part of taking the enemies is relatively quick, but then finding your way back can take a, a little bit of work to kind of Un, almost like undoing a knot where you've created all these massive knots and now you got to figure out the correct order of operations to get things back into a, a nice seamless line to get you where you need to go. I really enjoyed uh, the the challenge that th this one had. I, I mean, I loved the original. I loved Lands when that came out. But I think this just adds so much more because of that freedom of motion that I think they just can really kind of create much more interesting puzzles it's really amazing how expansive the levels can become as you unfold everything it's like there's these layers it's almost like those uh like paper craft ideas where you can create a cube you know you have the little flat piece of paper and it folds together this one you're kind of undoing it on this whole level expansive idea and it's just really crazy when you flip you know these pieces over this way and those over that way and you have this whole expansive level that you've like completely messed up what was original and you just don't even so essentially some of the levels you need to defeat an enemy to open up the door and you have to unfold all these kinds of different things to finally defeat that enemy and then it's a challenge in its own right like you mentioned to get it back so you actually have a pathway to the exit point Right, right, yeah, and that's sometimes more challenging than the original part. Like, it's it can get you can really be your own worst enemy in this game. Like, I'm like at least with the original, it was just like a Rubik's cube where you kind of messed up some sides, and those are fairly easy, straightforward to uh, to figure out the rotations necessary. But where this one has so many points of rotation that you can rotate blocks, you can rotate individual blocks around, you can rotate groupings of blocks, that you can just put level of level over level of rotation that you now have to kind of unwind and figure out how to get back. That sometimes you were the problem and not the actual level. You just messed things up so crazy bad that you now have to figure out how to undo it. Yep. And so that's Euclidean Skies. Keep in mind, the game is definitely high on challenge. And if you haven't checked out the original, be sure to do so. But if you like your puzzle games on the easy side, this probably isn't one for you because you will get frustrated because there's some mind-bending ideas. Just, yes, you know, I agree. <laughs> right at the beginning of the game, this isn't kind of holding your hand kind of thing. After the first couple introductory levels, you're thrown into it and you better be able to figure it out. Yep. And so... Euclidean Skies is $4.99. It's universal. 
And then there's Tesla versus Lovecraft, which comes from 10 tons. They've made some fun games in the past, like Sparkle and Azkand and all kinds of fun little games. <laughs> yeah, Time Recoil was great. And uh, Jid, Judge with the Y. Remember Judge with yeah. the Y? <laughs> yeah. Even their, uh, that King Oddball game or the hitting the guys the in the head in with the, the soccer ball. Yeah. Yeah, with the tennis ball. the cl- Oh, and the baseball, right? We hit yeah. with baseballs, too, yeah. So they, they've come out with a lot of fun games, and Tesla versus Lovecraft really kind of continues it. They apply their craft to a bunch of different genres, but it seems to come out well regardless. And Tesla versus Lovecraft starts with the idea that Nikolai Tesla has a whole like presentation, and then H.P. Lovecraft comes and is opposed to what he's trying to do you know creating lightning out of nothing or whatever and so the game then turns into this dual stick shooter where you get to play as tesla and waves and waves of the crazy creations from hp lovecraft's mind come towards you and you need to just blast them away so it's just a traditionally classic dual stick shooter of just waves and waves of enemies coming at you and you just trying to blast them away and every level has kind of these amped up versions of enemies bigger badder enemies come and then there's specials that are dropped of different weapons that you can pick up and then you can level up within a given level to kind of help you out but if you like dual stick shooters they've really nailed it yeah, yeah, and I, I'm a huge fan of dual stick shooters. They're right up there in one of my favorite uh, genres to play on a mobile device. And I really like how they've laid this one out. So as you're playing through, you're constantly just trying to kill as much as you can. Almost like mini-gore levels where you just have tons of these enemies on the screen all at once and you're just blowing them all up you're constantly running around you can kind of see these indicators where the pickups are so you, you might have a, a not a great weapon so now you're trying to run around to maybe grab the 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 shotgun or the the ak something or other i forget what it was called but the guns that fire faster and more bullets so you can take out as many of these enemies as quickly as possible and then you're also running around trying to basically kill things to level up and those little level ups you can trigger them at any time and kind of pause the action and you can decide do i want to give myself more speed do i want to give myself more overall health do i want to have uh my gunfire rate be doubled or or, or increased by i think 25 percent and so you constantly you're trying to kill and level up and stay alive while eventually hopefully you kill enough of these that you finish complete the the level that you're in but you're it it's just the constant like trying to avoid things and shooting and avoiding things and one of the coolest aspects is you have this kind of like teleporting system so there will be times where you're kind of in a fenced in area and you can use a little teleporting gun to kind of teleport out to another area or maybe you're starting to get overwhelmed by a horde of these enemies so you quickly try to teleport out to then go and grab a new power-up or maybe pieces of this mech that you can then eventually unlock this giant mech that you can just start mowing down the enemies. And it's just like a lot of stupid mayhem, fun, kind of just taking out piles of enemies. Everything that a good dual-stick shooter is. Yeah, and that's all you could really (laughs) ask for. And then just the creative kind of setup storyline, the subtle storyline, but just the setup of the idea... (laughs) And all of the character design of the enemies that you're blasting away. But really, just 
any kind of dual stick shooter that amps up the action so you have something constant to do whether it's enemies blast in a way or you can teleport between points and always have do different upgrades to aim for and then you have that unlockable mech of finding the six different pieces to assemble it together it just keeps you constantly engaged in the action there's really that's all you could want from a dual stick shooter yeah, I think it's been a while since we had one of these really good dual stick shooters. And it's nice, especially right around Halloween. For some reason, I love playing these right around Halloween time. And I think it's a perfect time frame for this to come out. Yeah, it reminds me of that iDracula game. It yeah, has a yeah. Similar kind of way the dead bodies fall beside you. Yeah, yeah. That's probably why, because I, I played a ton of that when that came out. Yep. And so that's Tesla versus Lovecraft. And it's $3.99. It's Universal. And then there's Turn Undead 2. So I wasn't familiar with the original, but regardless, you don't really need to. It's essentially an extension to offer more levels and kind of put the game brand out there again. And it's a turn-based platformer, which essentially lets you have the environment react for every move that you make. So essentially, the enemy only moves if you move. So if you move forward, the enemy will move forward towards you. And it has this whole kind of Van Helsing style setup where you get to toss like little wood stakes to kill these different enemies all in kind of the Dracula form or various monster form. But really it's that emphasis of having the methodical puzzle platformer approach where you get to see the level react as you move rather than just kind of that action you react instead the level actually reacts to what you do. Right, you you really have to plan things out in this game. It's not like you're just running around, jumping over things. You really have to think about how the other enemies are going to be moving while you're moving. I Like you, I don't remember ever playing the original. It is a really unique kind of game concept to have it so the enemies are moving while only while you're moving. So And the nice thing about that stake gun that you're shooting out those wooden stakes is... That also acts as kind of like a system for you to create ladders and ways to go up and down. So you can always swipe up once and your your character kind of floats a little bit. And then by shooting out the stake, you can kind of jump onto these stakes to have to build like an impromptu ladder. Or maybe there's like an area where the enemy is a really small area the enemy's walking in. And they have this one enemy type that are these skeletons. And when you hit them, their heads fall off. And the bodies continue to move around. The bodies themselves can't hurt you, but they can go and pick up their head again if they happen to run into their head, and now they're whole again, and then they can hurt you. So there's one of the early levels, there's actually this tiny little area where you have to drop down, shoot the the skeleton to take him out, then quickly shoot another one against the wall and jump up. Otherwise, the skeleton has just enough room that he's going to put himself together almost right away, and he's going to hit you. So if you don't do this, then you're going to die. And so it's like, normally you would just jump, jump, get out of the way, and it just requires all that little extra bit of thought, and it just a totally different way of dealing with a platformer that it's just a really unique and an interesting and fun way to play a platforming game. And I just thought it was very original. Yeah, I love the being able to create your own ladders with those wood stakes. And then when you do jump up in the air, your character is going to float there until you move again. Essentially, it's like you're moving on a chessboard where you get to move to that position and then see how the board reacts to you 
and then make a move based on that. So it's that constant strategy and, like you said, planning out your moves. It's a whole different way to play, but it makes it compelling. And also the levels aren't super long, but they're a good chunk size to keep you engaged, but you never feel lost. And then if you do make a mistake, it's not like this huge undertaking to kind of get back to where you were. Right, yeah. If, if you want another comparison, it's almost kind of like what Super Hot did for first-person shooters. This kind of does for platformers. So that that different kind of dealing with time, and you have to think of things. But yeah, it's it's definitely has a lot of ads. But uh, I I'd, I'd recommend checking it out. It, it, I don't know how it compares to the first one because I really don't remember playing the first one. But uh, you might as well start with this this new one, and it's got a great theme for Halloween, which the day we're recording this, we're recording it the day before Halloween, so if you're listening to this on Halloween, download and have some Halloween fun. Yep, and so it comes from Nitromi also, it's worth mentioning. It's one of their better releases in quite a while. They've had a few duds recently that we've talked about, so it's nice to see them kind of go back and have more of their originality in their games. Yeah, even if they're going back to the well of one of their previous games, it's still better than some of the stuff we've seen more recently. Yep, so that's Turn Undead 2. It's free, it's universal. And then to round out the week is Golf Battle. It comes from Miniclip, and it's not the most imaginative game. You've probably played an online multiplayer version of Mini Golf, But kind of what sets it apart is just the Mini Golf course design plus how many players and how well the connections are so mini golf matchup is similar but that had a relatively rudimentary mini golf style with the top-down perspective and then it was mainly emphasized head-to-head golf battle each match emphasizes six player connections unless you purposely connect with your friends and just want to do specific head-to-head matchups but just kind of general jumping in six players and then you can play either stroke mode or rush mode And so stroke mode is the classic mode where you just try to get to the hole in the fewest number of strokes. You can take your time, be relatively patient. Rush mode, first person in the hole wins. And you could take a million strokes as long as you're getting there faster than the other person. It's kind of like Super Stickman Golf 2 and 3 where they introduced that online battle mode where you just try to get to that end point. And it's a great setup within this game just because all of the mini golf holes have those classic elements like there's the windmill or there's the little portion the loop to loop yeah the three pieces can only go through you know it's blocked otherwise so you have to be relatively straight and narrow or there might be a ramp or jumps or there's moving portions but it's that classic idea of mini golf plus the courses are all designed in 3d and you have that normal kind of third person perspective to play through a mini golf matchup and it it's just a really good game of mini golf that is really quick and accessible plus really well done and quick connections for online multiplayer yeah yeah i was kind of impressed i mean it's an unassuming little game but it, i do like the fact that they included both that rush mode and a classic mode because sometimes it's fun to do that it doesn't matter how many shots you take you want that fast frenetic let's just try and see if i can beat the other people to the end mode but then other times you want to take your time like it's miniature golf when i go play miniature golf 
I try to score the best I can. I don't do like, let's all try to race and finish the hole and see who finishes it first. No, it's not how you play miniature golf. So I, I do like that they included both of those modes. And it is like I, the setups of the levels, they're they're pretty varied. Uh, there, there's some that have like icy areas that where the ball kind of like slides on that super quick. There are sandy areas where it'll really slow you down your ball and stop it. There's moving targets that you have to like time your shots through the targets or maybe time it so that you bounce off the target and don't go off the course. And so there's a lot of variety in the, the levels. Some of them do seem to kind of repeat just in a different location, but there's enough there that it, it keeps it interesting. There's also this whole system, which I haven't explored too much on, where you can level up, you can get like new clubs that are supposedly better or, or different colored balls and unlock various things. That's the kind of stuff where I think they want you to buy to try to spend real money on chests or unlocking chests. Uh, but you can kind of ignore all that fact. I didn't notice at least, well, I guess it's still early days in the app, but I didn't notice, uh, anything where I felt like someone had something that was helping them to cheat to to do better than me. I always felt like I was in the mix. The scores were always very close unless I did a lot of stupid things right overshot and overshot and overshot and kept on going off the course. But otherwise, I, the yeah, it, just what you said, the matchups were super fast. The connections seemed didn't seem laggy. Everything connected really quickly. I had a bunch of six-player matches. I had some where it was two, some where it was three, and all of them seemed to work just as well, and you always felt like uh, you were in the mix. It always did feel like you had a chance to win, and I ignored all of the coins and upgrades and accessories and and he was part of that and just played the game and I won a few times it was just you know really competitive it comes down right to the end and then not only that the whole setup is this coin based kind of betting system where it costs 200 to play or it costs 50 to play you can win 200 but even if you finish second it's not going to prohibit you from playing further and then you can play additional courses just the price increases but there is quite a bit of hole variety. Even if you pick that introductory course over and over, it's not the same three holes you're going to play every time. They give you a different set of holes. Right, and sometimes when you're playing on these online matches, you'll end up in other lo other locations you haven't seen yet. So you're not you're not always going to be in the same holes. And the more you play it, the more you build unlock content. Obviously, so if you do play it a bunch, you will unlock those other locations. They don't seem to be buried behind paywalls. It's just a matter of leveling up to get to those points. Yep. So if you like any kind of fast-paced mini golf or action golf. Golf Battle is definitely one to check out. It's free, it's universal, and I think that's everything for episode 88. Yeah, that's all I got. Brett, thanks for joining me. Yeah, it's a pleasure, and we had a great event today, so it was a good day. Yep, and to everyone listening, we hope you enjoyed, and we'll talk to you next time. Talk to you later.